0: Talk about something different this morning, Dave. We had some fun. If you missed the the warning, this is your last chance. Song of Solomon chapter 4 brings us to the message of married sex. And I'll tell you, uh, we're not gonna hold back this morning. In fact, we're gonna talk about what the Bible actually has to say about this issue, and I'll get to that in just a moment, but oh yeah. Let's get it on. Will you put your hands together and welcome those who are joining us live online through the power of the internet. We're glad that you're here. Hope you connect with God. Pull out your smartphone for just a moment, iPhone, whatever you got, Samsung, and share the live feed going out right now. For those online, share the Facebook live feed or go to our online campus and share the link at mercyroad.tv and maybe just one person gets impacted in their lives eternally because you did that. So thank you guys. Man, a lot of exciting stuff. Easter's coming up. You can register online. That's new for us because we want to make as many seats available as possible. You got your Easter signs. Wipe us out of those this morning. Um, but this morning's message is just a little bit different. So I want you to turn the person to your left and to your right. And I know this is lame, but do it anyway. And say, hey, it's not normally like this. Go ahead and do that. It's not normally like this. <laughs> The title of this morning's message we've been talking about, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And we looked at courtship and dating. And then we talked about last week, commitment. And at the end of chapter three, there's the the chariots of the king that come in. And it's talking about the wedding ceremony that occurs. So do you know what Song of Solomon chapter four is about? It's about the bedroom that night. Uh Uh-huh. I didn't put this in there. Don't get mad at me. God decided this was worthy of being in Scripture. And so we're going to study it, and we're going to talk about what married sex looks like. The title is, Ah, Yeah, We Awaken the Love This Morning. I'm going to give you a few ways to do that, and we're going to have a whole lot of fun as we do it. But we've acknowledged the last few weeks that our culture tells us that Sex is is great, there's no strings attached, it's just about physical intimacy, there's no emotional or spiritual element to it, just go have it, have lots of it, friends with benefits, great, there won't be any problems in your life, don't worry about that. And our advertisements and our movies and our music and our literature communicates that to us repetitively throughout our week. That sex is simply a commodity of an exchange of something you want and you get, or you give up. And yet the Bible is, says something a little bit different about it. This beautiful picture of intimacy, physical, emotional, even spiritual, as a married couple is meant to allow sex to unite them in a way. Isn't it interesting that God is the one who created sex? Isn't it interesting that he's the one that made it supposedly pleasurable? Like he did that. And yet, throughout church history, our response as a church has always been a one word answer. You guess what that word is? No. Don't do it. Don't talk about it. And definitely don't bring it up in church. And we've had people reach out to us through this sermon series saying, I don't know why I never knew this stuff growing up. We never talked about sex in church, and yet it's one of the biggest issues in our marriages and our relationships that the enemy has stolen from God and used it to become something destructive rather than something that mends couples together. And so we're going to reclaim sex this morning. Amen? Amen? You guys ready to study God's word together, church? You see throughout uh look at song of solomon chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 i'll get to it in just a moment throughout church history this is not a new thing that we just say no in fact Tortullian, the guy who came up with the name trinity he had a very negative view of sex and wrote about it gregory of Nyssa, another early church father he actually believed sex didn't occur until the after original sin had happened Isn't that insane the bible doesn't say that by the way Then Origen, the guy who came up with the theological phrase, eternally begotten, like the eternally begotten son, there was not a time Jesus was not. It was in the early creeds of the church. He preferred castration of males over the urges of sex. And my personal favorite, Jerome. Anybody know Jerome. He's the one that wrote the Latin version of the Bible called the Vulgate in like the 4th century A.D. And what he wrote and encouraged people to do is if you became sexually aroused that you should, get this, run into thorn bushes to prevent the urges. Now, I could not find the thorn bush verse in the Bible In fact, in Song of Solomon, chapter 4, it gives intimate details of their sexual relationship. And so if you're here this morning and you're married, or you desire to be married someday, or you want a healthier understanding of what the Bible does teach about sex within marriage, I'd like to share a little bit of that with you. So here we go. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Oh, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. That's attractive. Descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Your lips, oh, your lips, are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the tower of David, this gets weird, built with courses of stone on it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw with you. Will you pray with me? God, these flowery words this morning, we pray that you would speak to us through them about what they're really saying. We pause for just a moment. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room with us. Thank you, God, that you care about this more than we probably even do. God, we pray for healing this morning. We pray for encouragement, conviction. God, speak to us. Use your words. We surrender this morning to it. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. You remember when you first got married? For those who have been married years or decades and you're here, remember for some of you that are uh, dating or are single and you're looking to get married, you remember that dream you had of what your marriage would be like, what your family would be like, what your house would be like, what your sexual life would be like? i want to reclaim, reclaim that vision. The verses we read there give this detailed experience, and we're going to get a whole lot more detailed in a bit, of what sex was meant to look like in a pursuit of a husband and wife of one another. They have been married, and now they are in the bridal chambers. But I'm doing something. I did this at the last service, and I thought it would be the only service I would do it at, but I convinced my wife, who's sitting in the front row, to stay for this service so I could do this one more time. Today we are celebrating 10 years of marriage. Today, today, we got we got real fancy and went out on Friday night. Some of you see me pick this up and you're getting real nervous. And I did this at the last service. It did not go particularly well, uh, but it, it served the point. In fact, I. Uh, I sang at a service a few months ago and I was told by many, many regular attenders, Josh, please never do that again. (laughs) And so for Tenoria and Charles and Darren Earlywine's boys, it's my anniversary, I'm going to sing to my wife and I don't care what you have to think. And where's my tech hand? Eric, you didn't bring my microphone out. I'm not sure. I'm assuming I'm supposed to use this one. Everybody give Eric Maitland a hand for not doing his job. <laughs> Is this the right microphone, Matt? Okay. And so here's the story of this song. Um, I, I wrote this before I met Lisa, the first half of it. And it was about uh, the, the beauty I saw in this photograph. It was a picture of the Thames River in, in uh, Great Britain in London, England. I'd never been there, and there was rain coming down, and it was this beautiful photograph of God's creation, and I just thought, man, that is, it caught my heart. And I wrote these words at that time as a single guy, and it really turned into the beauty of that picture, longing for that that type of beauty with a wife someday, not just physical beauty, but finding a godly woman that we could share life together, and I was longing for that. So I wrote the first half of the song about that, and then I met my wife, Lisa, who's right down here. And I wrote the second half of the song after we went on our first non-date for coffee. You know, We weren't dating yet, it was just a non-date, we were friends. And I, her eyes were sparkling, I thought they looked like diamonds. I know that's cheesy, but that's part of this morning. And I just fell in love with her. And so I wrote the second half of the song about my wife and about the beauty that I found, not just in her physically, but in her person. And it's been an amazing 10 years together, honey. And thank you for sticking around one more service so I can sing this to you. It's called Magic Eyes. You ready? I'm really going to do this. It's going to come. Caught a glimpse of beauty. Her eyes were dripping wet. She was crying tears of joy. On the day we never met, caught a glimpse of beauty, she smiled and made me cry. Radiance left me wanting for days gone by. Caught a glimpse of beauty, stood and I watched her dance. Melted down that picture, dreaming of a second chance. Because life is a beautiful picture on a cold and a rainy day, staring, dream of your whole love as time slips away, 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 away. This is where it's about Lisa though. Oh, it's not over yet. Don't clap yet. There was a light so bright, it blinded out the stars' mark. The stars in the sky, and I wanted to take a drink and sip on her magic eyes of ink. I wanted to dip my pen, dip my pen, and then began to take a bath in her delight and suffocate the pain and the scars of the night. Oh, I'll never be old. Come on, now. Oh, I'll never be old if I drink that magic light. I feel your warmth of present down all around. Take me from this cold, dark hell, this loveless tomb of emptiness. Pour out your magic light mind those stars what it needs to be bright with your magic eyes alive. I love you Lisa, thank you for sticking around one more time one more time, we thank Lisa she's going to take off with our kiddos right now and do like a little goodbye wave for everybody honey as she heads out Well, that was a great sermon. Uh, How many are glad that Eric Maitland is our worship leader as a church? You know, part of the reason I want to sing this morning and wanted to do that for my wife at 10-year anniversary, she has been there through some of the most difficult things over the last 10 years. The night before we got married, 10 years ago, I taught on sex. This is a true story. The night before, we had this growing young adult ministry, and we're doing multiple services on Sunday night, and my wife sat through all these services the night before we got married, and I was teaching. I believe it was even on Song of Solomon chapter four. What are the chances? And I wasn't married yet, and so the title of the sermon, this is true, was, I'm having sex tomorrow. (laughs) It was a real crowd pleaser, and so... I wanna share this morning that passion. I realize this. I'm 10 years in. Some of you, uh, you're much beyond me. I could learn a lot from you. I am not the relationship guru. There's no Dr. Phil moment up here this morning. I'm be vulnerable and talk about some of my failures as well. And I just wanna say, but that passion for our spouse, I don't ever wanna lose that. I wanna recapture that this morning. And I believe sex is meant to be a piece of that intimacy that draws us together. That God has given you that gift. And so as you're ready to study God's word, I want to give you three ways to, oh yeah, awaken the love in your marriage. Some of you are going, thank the Lord I came this morning. Listen to this, honey. Others, if you are going, oh, I got to get out of here as quickly as possible. We're going to acknowledge the difficulties of what I'm about to say. And that is point number one, three ways to awaken the love in your marriage. Enjoy God's gift of sex. Isn't it funny how some of us don't really see it as a gift? And we don't really see that God enters into that area of our life in any way, shape, or form. Even though he's the one that made procreation occur that way, made it pleasurable in the first place. And uses that way to draw us together as a married couple. You see, I believe that in our culture we ha- should ha- have a lot to say about sex. There's a great book by Kevin Lehman called Sheet Music. I encourage you, if you've never read this book as a married couple, to check it out. He actually was on Oprah once, but he's a Christian psychologist. And it gets very detailed, and I can't believe how many young people get married and they have never heard about a healthy sexual life and what the Bible has to say of it. There's some great stories in there of like a young guy on his wedding night running out in his tidy whities ready to go, and his wife is so petrified, she has to go to counseling for like the next decade, Right? There's stories of women on their wedding night that are hiding in the closet in the bathroom crying. Or my personal favorite, and I told you it was PG-13 slash R this morning, like the young couple who didn't really understand lubrication and they accidentally used ta- toothpaste instead. Guys, we got to do better. And so in Song of Solomon chapter 4, when we call it a gift from God, we should look at it that way, and we should talk about it, and we should communicate in our marriage about it, and we should actually express it in our outposts and in our worship services to be able to admit what it says. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4 that we read, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. He is commenting on how attractive he finds her eyes in this passage. I remember writing that song about my wife when I saw her eyes. Her hair is like a flock of goats. That's weird, isn't it? Descending from the hills of Gilead. The goats on the hills of Gilead, by the way, had very dark coats of fur. And so he's saying, I find your hair beautiful. It's dark and luxurious. And what you're going to see here is that he's slowly working down her body. It goes on in verse two, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. He says, hey, baby, you got all your teeth and they're white. And you may not understand, like in that culture, there was no Crest toothpaste, no mouthwash, no uh, professional dentistry. Like for her to have all her teeth and for them to be clean, he was like, oh, I cannot believe I found a winner. And he's going to continue to move on. He gets to verse 3. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon, scarlet. And that culture was thought to be attractive when describing a woman's mouth. Your mouth is lovely. And then it goes from commenting on her eyes and commenting on her lips and her hair and her teeth and her mouth. To then saying this. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Here's the thing. Guys, he is pursuing her talking things over her that he finds attractive about her. And in a moment, it's not just going to be physical stuff. And here's the important part. Her temple, it describes like a pomegranate. Like if you look at the inside of a pomegranate, it's bright red. He's saying "Your, your cheeks are red. What it's saying here is she's blushing. She's blushing. This is really important. He is pursuing her and he's saying these things about her. And she's responding to it, right? She is accepting it. There's no, like, you don't really mean that. There's no pushing back or turning away. She's actually accepting it from him as she blushes and he continues to talk over her. Listen, this isn't this beautiful, intimate image. Notice they're not having sex yet. In fact, that won't occur until verse 16. They spend 15 verses talking about what happens before that. In verse 4, in a moment, it's going to talk about her neck. And I just want to share with you as he's slowly working down and he's speaking these good things into her life. And this intimate scene is occurring. Unfortunately, many of us don't experience that, right? And I want to tell you, I, I said this at the first service. It's so funny how God works. Like just earlier this week, my wife and I began to talk about stuff and we got a big argument. You ever been there? And so, like, this isn't something that you get really good at and then you never have to worry about again. It's a constant process of working. And some of you have been doing it for a while and you feel overwhelmed and you've kind of given up hope. Reclaim that dream with me this morning that your sexual life could look differently. The second thing he does here and she does here is that he values her value and she values his value. See, it goes in verse 4, and it says, your neck is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. That's really weird, isn't it? Now, it's true in Egyptian culture, a long neck was thought to be attractive, but that's really not what scholars think that he is talking about here because it refers to it as the Tower of David built with courses of stone. Why stone? On it hang a thousand shields. Well, that's kind of weird. All of them shields of warriors. Just so we're all tracking essentially what's occurring here, she is wearing this ornate necklace and nothing else. And he pauses, rather than moving down quickly, he pauses to acknowledge that necklace. The thousand shields of David, the whole thing. A tower was like a fortress. What is acknowledging here most scholars would say is not just the beauty of the necklace, but that represented her chastity. That they had waited. I said a couple weeks ago I would share this, in fact, to prove that you were a virgin. This is horrible, but what would occur in that culture is after the wedding night, the Jewish community would come around and the parents of the bride would bring out whatever they slept on, like the bridal sheet, and produce it for the whole town to see that the hymen bone had been broken and there was enough blood that she was actually a virgin. That gross. But they valued in their culture sexual purity before marriage. And isn't it interesting that when he's working down, rather than quickly going, oh, my goodness, this is about to happen. Instead, he acknowledges, thank you. Find value that you waited. And if interesting, we find that attractive about each other. Doesn't mean their sexual life going to be easy and perfect. But he acknowledges that. What is it that your spouse values? Listen to them. Respond to it. Value the things that God values in their marriage He didn't just value this during their marriage. He also valued it before. And he's taking his time demonstrating this isn't about me getting something from you. This is about us together. And this is the part where I get a little bit stereotypical. And forgive me if this is improper. One of the difficulties of talking to a large group of people is sometimes I have to talk in stereotypes. And so if you don't fit into this, I get it. I have ministered. So there are people all over the spectrum on how this is a problem in their lives. But as a whole, we know in our culture that men, we're pretty easy to figure out when it comes to this issue. Am I right? Like we're either on or we're off. Almost like a light switch. Ladies, on the other hand, it's like driving the Millennium Falcon, right? Like, you don't know which knob to turn, when to turn. You're trying to find the hyperdrive. You don't know what to do. You're like, what worked a week ago doesn't work today. So frustrating. I asked my wife for permission to share this, and she said, okay, and then she left out of the room. And that one of the things that really gets my wife going sexually is this one little trick I learned. You ready for this? It's when I go into the pantry and I take out the trash bag and I tie it up and I put it in the dumpster and I walk it to the curb. And on the way back, I just know, baby, it's on. (laughs) That's my mind. That's not working in her mind, right? Like, It is more than just a physical thing about trying to figure out how to... It's an emotional connection that is occurring. See, don't think of sex as just a physical object. The couple in Song of Solomon chapter 4 definitely did not. They spent 15 verses pursuing one another, communicating with one another, talking with one another, putting in effort And for men and women this morning that we would do the same. But look what happens in verses 5 and 6. It's not like they only pursue... Uh, an emotional connection here. The physical thing is something that they celebrate, and God made pleasurable. When you look at verses five and six, like uh, the the twelve year old in me just wants to giggle. But I'm going to read it anyway. Your your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Uh, Song of Solomon seven verses seven and eight. It says, "I will go and get up, climb that tree, and I will take hold of the fruit." Is what the passage says. It's talking here about her chest, and it goes on in the next verse. And look what it says. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. Two protruding objects. Are we all tracking what he is talking about here? No. (laughs) Talking about her chest and her breasts, and he spends some time there, and they actually enjoy that with one. Now, some of you going, that ain't happening. Isn't it interesting here that they feel so comfortable and vulnerable with one another that it just comes naturally? And it goes down into verses 12 to 15. It gets worse. I told you it was PG-13 this morning. It says in verse uh, 12, You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. By the way, garden, and the next word I'm going to say here, You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain, Garden and fountain were euphemisms for sex, or in this case, in particular, a woman's vagina. And I just said it in church, and it's out there. It's what it's talking about. Your garden locked up. Your spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. He goes on in in verses 13. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits with henna and nard. Nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon. Notice it's mentioning these spices, these sweet smelling things. There is this sexual atmosphere that has been created where both of them are enjoying this and pursuing one another with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain again, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. God decided to put that in scripture. He wanted you to see this beautiful picture of physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological intimacy to draw you together as a married couple. And now we get to verse 16, and it's finally happening. Verse 16 says this, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread everywhere, everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. It's talking about sex in this passage. Well, I'd like to share in the short time we have left together that this is the beautiful picture of sexual intimacy that we need to reclaim with one another in our marriages. And that we should hold on and look forward to and fight for and value for those of you dating. That you're going to find somebody that you can love this way. But it doesn't mean, whether you honor God or not, that this area of your life is ever going to be perfect or always work out the way that you desire. I talk with all kinds of couples who didn't honor God in this area of their life, and it's bringing up so much baggage in their marriage that they don't know how to walk through it. And then there are others who honored God in this area of their life, and yet for physical reasons or emotional reasons or psychological reasons or even spiritual reasons, they're not finding this type of sexual relationship, and they don't, neither one of them really look forward to it. I want to tell you as a church, if that's you in either aspect this morning, that Marriage is about a lot more than just sex. God did not create you, did your your purpose and plan for your life is not just to have sex, even though culture gives it so much weight. However, it is meant to be something to draw you together as a couple, to value with one another. So talk about it, pray about it, find a support system for you to deal with those issues. We'll even help pay for a professional Christian counselor to meet with you and walk through these things for you to find healing to take next step but please don't do this because this is what most of us do please don't give up most of us get to the point where it's become such a painful part of our lives and we know that it's not all that we were meant for so why even bother with it I'm just I'm tired of dealing with it it's just easier not to deal with it and so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about it anymore And yet God put verses like that in scripture. and I want to say when you do that, it's like you're giving up on your spouse and you're giving up on God's sexual life for you. Neither one of them are healthy. And so invite, I know this is creepy, (laughs) but invite God into your bedroom. Talk about it. Talk with him about it. Pray together. And number three, create a healthy sexual atmosphere in your marriage. I mean, statistically, you take our faith out of it, it demonstrates that when you have a healthy sexual life, your marriage tends to be healthier. I want to talk to the men first, and then I'm going to talk to the women. Notice in this passage, verses 7 to 11a, the man goes on. He says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sanir, from the summit of Hermon, from the lion's den, a mountain haunts of jeopards. He calls her out. He pursues her. He wants to be with her. He doesn't give up. He fights for her. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your neck necklace how delightful is your love my sister my bride how much more pleasing is your love than wine I'm not going to escape to things I'm going to pursue you even though it's hard it makes us vulnerable as guys and our pride we're scared to do it but he doesn't say he's going to stand up in front of people he's going to sing to his wife even when he's not good at it because he wants her to know that he cares for her and my wife would be the first one to tell you In 10 years, I sang that to my wife on her wedding day, and I've sang it since, but I've never sang it to her in front of people since, and that's not good. That pursuit of our wives and our husbands that we had in our early years of marriage shouldn't end now. You know more about what you enjoy sexually now. Allow that, the vulnerability of that, to actually draw you together. He goes on in verse 11. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. Guys, have you gotten lazy in the busyness of work and some of us trying to raise kids and your social life and the sports and all the things that we care about? Have we gotten lazy in pursuing our wives? Single guys, have you gotten lazy in pursuing people in the way that God would desire you to? And then... Let's talk to the women for just a moment. And I will say, I said this at the last service. I don't know if you notice, I am not a woman. So I can't speak into your life the way that a woman is. So if I say anything bad, like come talk to me about it. It's not my intent. I did have Sarah Hurley from Christie's House that deals with sexual uh, abuse victims. Talk to me that it's okay to say what I said at the last service. So I feel more confident at this service. And that's this. Have you gotten lazy as well? Did you notice what in the passage, what wasn't occurring? When he pursues her, she blushes, she receives it. She's right there with him. Nowhere does she go, I'm tired, go away from me. You notice that? There's no like pushing back on the pursuit of her husband. And it doesn't mean you don't need to work things out and talk first. I'm not saying that. There's also, um, I couldn't find the sweatpants in the passage here. (laughs) Right? Like they were gone all of a sudden. I want to tell you, and I put this up on the screen, she is unafraid, maybe there's a better word, but I really think that is unafraid to seduce her husband in this passage. We tell women all growing up to guard your heart, to protect yourself, not so that when you get into marriage, you can still do that. Like, just like the guys need to get more vulnerable and not be lazy, ladies, to allow yourself to be vulnerable, that's hard, isn't it? To put yourself out there, to seduce your husband, like, ah, oh, I don't want to do that because I'm afraid, and it's just hard hard and why I don't want to mess with that area of my life. It's easier just for us to just kind of not deal with it. And yet that's not what she does in this passage. She's wearing nothing but an ornate necklace. She accepts his pursuits. I won't read verses 11 to 14 again, but I want to highlight this, that they take time throughout the first 15 verses. They took effort and communication with one another. If you forget everything else this morning, if you were here and you've been married for one year or a hundred years, and praise God if that happened, talk about this today. Find a way that you can get alone and talk about this with your spouse. To not allow Satan to use it as a way to destruct to be destructive in your relationship and to divide you, but rather allow God to use it to draw you together as a married couple. This beautiful picture of emotional, spiritual, physical intimacy that's occurring in this passage, that's the dream that we could all recapture. It could affect our marriages and draw us together more, which then affects our children, which then affects our relationships with other people and our friendships and our lives as love enters into those areas that we're so afraid of being vulnerable in. Do you talk to your spouse about this are you pursue, pursuing one another you can't change the other person can you but you could begin to change yourself in this area men and women to put ourselves out there to reclaim sex to create a healthy sexual atmosphere in our lives talk to each other and certainly pray to the loving heavenly father that created it, made it pleasurable, and desires for you to have a healthy sexual life. And I'll end with this. For some of you out there, this is very difficult because you have had things done to you in the past that weren't your fault. And we've talked about this sort of thing in the past. And to begin to work through that, talk with your spouse about it, seek wise Christian counsel, find healing, find a way to deal with the pain that you have in your life. But then for others of us, We'll never find healing in this area of our life because we didn't have things done to us. We made mistakes in this area. Many of us continue to make mistakes in this area. And so if I could just encourage you, challenge you, speak into your life through scripture this morning, we will never see Song of Solomon chapter four in our sexual lives within our marriages if we don't confess the things that are obstacles and preventing us from seeing that. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Will you pray with me? God, there are many of us in the room right now who this is a real struggle and a hurtful thing to even bring up. And we're afraid to make ourselves vulnerable, to pursue our spouse again, to listen to each other, to communicate to not have this moral superiority complex to argue about things in our relationship rather than to seek healing. And so, God, we confess that to you. And right now, in the quietness of this moment, not out loud, but if you have anything in your sexual life you need to confess to God, I encourage you, let's do that together right now, just in the quietness of this moment, confess it to him. God, we confess we need you. And as 1 John says, we ask for your forgiveness. Take the weight of that off of our shoulders. Help us to talk to somebody about it today. Our spouse at home, a friend, a family member, someone we trust. uh, One of the amazing prayer counselors that we have over here that have been ministering to people week in and week out on some of these, these very issues and others. God, we surrender our sexual lives to you. Maybe this morning there's somebody that is sitting here and just admitting that you've never allowed God into this area of your life ever, and you'd like to commit your whole life to him. I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I need you. Forgive me for my mistakes. I commit my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. Use me. Heal this area of my life. I surrender it all to you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name and all God's family said, amen.